Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So here's something I think would be a fun conversation for you to have with the uh, Georgia fans that you congregate with online or the folks that you tailgate with or the dog fans in your neighborhood, just the Georgia fans you have in your life. I think this would be kind of a fun conversation to have because I think you'd get some interesting answers to this question. Ask them this. How come Georgia won the national championship this year? Now, ultimately, there are a lot of reasons that you could bring up in a conversation like that, but I'd be curious to hear what UGA fans were to say top of mind of, hey, this is a Georgia team that almost won it in 2017, that was certainly in the category of teams that could have won it in 2018, maybe 2019, 2020, a slight step back there, but Georgia's kind of been in the top 10 conversation, one of the five, six, seven best teams in America for most of the recent years of the Kirby Smart era, yet in 2021, it took that next, that final step and actually won the national championship, and the question would be, well, how come they did that? How, how, how come they got there? And as I said before, smart people could come up with different reasons reasons why and if you were asked me I'd come up with my list but here's the thing I believe I would put on the list number one over anything else I think the most glaring difference in Georgia this season compared to maybe Georgia of recent seasons is that a Georgia defense that had always been good and maybe you could say based on some of the overall stats especially as measured by points allowed per game in recent years even Georgia's defensive performance was even great But in 2021, it became something entirely different. This became an elite pass rushing team. This was a team, if you kind of think about the old vernacular of junkyard dog defense, this is a defense that really liked showing its teeth a lot this year. This was a nasty defense. This was not just a defense that was out there trying to keep you out of the end zone. They were trying to score themselves. They were trying to create kind of the uh, negative havoc type plays that actually didn't just prevent you from having something good happen but created something good for 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 Georgia overall that 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 Georgia was out there playing defense with kind of an offensive mindset where it wanted to get a sack it wanted to get a turnover it wanted to get these kinds of things and ultimately the overall number for Georgia this past year in 2021 was 49 total sacks it came with an eyelash of getting 50 and what's interesting about that is for a long time and I know Connor Riley's heard me say this in the show many times the magic number I kind of always had circled for Georgia was about 40. That if Georgia could get to that 40 sack number, I thought that the defensive fortunes for this program would really change. And in 2021, they sailed past 40 and almost knocked down the door of getting to 50. And so if I look at all the reasons why Georgia won the national championship here this year, that's what I arrive on is Georgia just became a much better pass rushing team here in this uh, season than they'd ever been before. And as I said before, it's not probably too early to start looking at whether Georgia can be that again here in 2022. And who are the guys on this team that are going to have a chance to contribute towards that? And how do you add all that together? Now, some of what I'm going to do today is kind of back of the napkin type stuff and we're going to get more deeply into this I believe a lot as you head towards spring practice we got plenty of time to talk about a lot of this but I at least wanted to kind of start this conversation with some overall general thoughts and I want to look at some questions I have right now that over the course of the next few months kind of need to be answered as you start to put the picture in your mind together of what next year's version of George is going to look like let me start with this 
How different is the mindset going to be for Georgia defensively in 2022 compared to what it was in 2021? Because of all the reasons why Georgia became a much better pass rushing team here this year, the one thing I don't think you can discount is, is that Dan Lanning, who has been a very good defensive coordinator for Georgia, now head coach at Oregon, I don't think you can discount the way in which he instilled a defensive pass rush minded attitude into this team you know we didn't hear from Lanning very much in the postseason situation it seems like you heard from him a little bit more because bowl games college football playoff national championship games there is a a little bit of an extra responsibility for coordinators to speak to the media during the regular season we obviously never heard from Lanning but if you want to go back to the beginning of the year back in August when practice was first getting going it's typical that Georgia coordinators speak and give us state of the program type press conference initial thoughts as Georgia's moving through its practice routine before the start of the season and the one thing I remember saying at the time about Lanning that I appreciated about his press conference at the time was just how his language was just dripping with the talk of pass rush and havoc rate and being in the backfield and being active in that part of the defense that was something that for Lanning was was clearly very important and so when you talk about the actual results for Georgia that existed this season the one thing I don't think you can discount is the way in which that was established as the standard that George was pointing itself towards before the year even began and I I do think it's interesting to to wonder well, with what we expect to be a co-DC tandem next year, Will Muschamp and, and, and Glenn Schumann, will they speak in that same way? Will they talk as openly about their desire to achieve the pass rush the way that, the way that Dan Lanning did? Because to be frank, for as good of a defensive coordinator as Mel Tucker was predating Lanning's time as being DC here with this program, his language probably was a little bit different. It doesn't seem like he was as committed to the pass rush at all costs the way that Dan Lanning kind of was. And to to I guess further cement what I'm talking about here let me let you hear some of Lanning going back to the year began and my hope is as you start looking towards 2022 spring practice the summer and all of the stuff that George will do to get ready for the upcoming season my hope is you'll hear Schumann Muschamp whoever it is that's speaking on behalf of this team speak as directly about the desire to get after quarterbacks as Lanning made it a point to speak to back in August of last year this is Dan Lanning. Obviously, Aziz provided a lot of consistency for us in a pass pro standpoint, you know, but, you know, his success also limited maybe some other guys' opportunity on the field. So I know we know, you know, obviously Adam Anderson's skill set and his ability to rush the passer. I think it's going to create some opportunities for guys like Nolan Smith, Robert Beal that have been sharing some of those reps in the past. And then Trayvon Walker, I expect, you know, really big things to show up with him and and excited about some of the young guys that, that kind of come into the fold. And I think we will continue to adapt and defensively about where we create pressure, where we create those one-on-ones. Maybe that means there's going to be some more one-on-ones inside rather than, you know, out on the edge. But I feel confident we've got the guys that can replace some of that production for Aziz and also excited to see what Aziz does at the next level for the Giants. So you hear Lanning there talking about how much he wants to, to see that pass rush be a big part of the overall defensive story for Georgia leading into the 2021 season it turns out that's exactly what happened the other name you also hear him using a lot there was Aziz Ojolari and the context for that was Ojolari had had such a good year for Georgia the best individual pass rushing season that Georgia had had 
came from Ojolari in the 2020 season. And obviously, going into the start of last year, the question was, well, how do you replace the stats that a guy like Ojolari provided for the program? And you hear Lanning also addressing some of that there, too. And I, I do think as we look ahead to the 2022 season for Georgia, thinking about Aziz Ojolari also makes some sense for us here as, as well. Because when you go back and look at Ojolari in 2020, you see an eight-and-a-half sack season. That's the high-water mark individually for any Georgia player here this year and you start to wonder well could a guy like Nolan Smith choosing to stay at Georgia for his final season knowing that he was really a more heralded recruit coming out of high school than Ojolari was could Nolan Smith also give you uh, an Ojolari type season could could he give you the kind of individual type pass rush season that Ojolari made his hallmark there in 2020 now admittedly that's a big step up for Nolan he's was at three and a half last year in 2021. Ojolari was at eight and a half in 2020. Ojolari had actually been at five and a half in 2019. So the step that Ojolari made from where he was the year before his big breakout year in 2020 was actually a little shorter path than what Nolan may have to travel here for 2021 to get that kind of individual success. I don't want to say it's an impossibility, not at all, but but I do think you need to speak just the real realistically what a big step forward Nolan would have to take in his final season at Georgia to be as good as Ojolari was in 2020. Not saying it's impossible, but it is a big step forward. And seeing how much of a stride Nolan can take in that direction, I think is going to really matter. Now, I also think in terms of adding together a potent pass rush for 2022, obviously the fact that Robert Beal comes back and Beal actually was the team leader a year ago, six and a half sacks. That's really important for all of this too. But but I think getting more out of guys who maybe have more potential to fulfill is probably a more interesting topic around all of this right now. The other thing is, you know, go back and look at recent years for George. Look at, say, 2019, for instance, coming off of a elite recruiting class that included the likes of Nolan Smith and Trayvon Walker and Jermaine Johnson, all part of that there, too. Those guys came in as true freshmen in 2019. They combined for seven and a half sacks. That's young players, in the case of Walker and Nolan, true freshmen, who immediately found a little bit of a home in the program and at least showed you a little bit of a spark in that inaugural season at UGA of what they might have a chance to be later on, especially in the case of Trayvon, who went on to have obviously a great career. It's now going to be a very high draft pick when Roger Goodell calls his name this April. But you also think about you know guys like Mikael Williams who are coming in as true freshmen. And Mikael really comes into Georgia with a whole bunch of steam right now. Just got a big award last week. Jeff Sintel wrote about that at dognation.com. Mikael was probably the most lauded person at the All-American Bowl uh, a couple of weeks prior to that, that he really stands now as a true singular talent amongst an elite class for Georgia all the way around, that Mikael almost stands head and shoulders above almost anybody else in that group right now based on the recent chatter that he's generated. But it's not just him. It's Marvin Jones Jr. as well, who's the kind of individual pass rushing talent to be frank that Georgia hasn't always won with on the recruiting trail at one point in time it seemed like Georgia was very deep at the outside linebacker spot as of late the edge rusher type guy seems to have that that's become a little bit thinner for for a multitude of reasons but can you also to go along with what might be a major stride forward from Nolan Smith get a little more from Mikael Williams get a little bit more from Marvin Jones Jr. get a little bit more from those incoming freshmen if you're going to try to get back to that 40 number again 40 plus number again in 2022 getting something from those first year guys probably matters then quickly a couple of other things here as well if you want to remove the topic from just pass rush for a moment 
I think one of the biggest issues awaiting the Georgia defense in this upcoming season, and we're going to start getting into this as soon as spring practice. I don't know that, I mean, it's very hard for any position group to be better than Georgia's inside linebacker group was this past season. Nicobe Dean, arguably, you can put him on the list of individual seasons. Georgia history, certainly the Kirby Smart era, he goes right there alongside anybody, but it wasn't just him. Channing Tindall had a great season as well. Quay Walker had a great season as well. Uh, Dean, I believe, had six sacks, but the combination of Dean and Tindall and Walker actually added together at the inside linebacker spot for 13 total sacks for Georgia. My gosh, is that hard to replace. That is really hard to, to replace, especially when you know, Tyndall and, and, and uh, uh, Quay and, and Nicobe, they also didn't get hurt. They, got, they stayed healthy. They played a lot. And you'd be a fool to take them off the field. So, unfortunately for guys like Smile Mondon or Jamon Dumas-Johnson, they didn't get as much playing time as they otherwise would have. And that worked out really well for George on the field this year because you had your best inside linebackers in the game. But how about for what that means for guys who are talented? No one questions that for Mondon. You've seen sparks of that from uh, Jamon Dumas-Johnson, but still inexperienced. How close can that inside linebacker group come to being as good as what the 2021 guys were a year ago? It's going to be hard to be as good as that, but can they do something that even comes within the same zip code of all of that? If you want to be great with the pass rush again next season, you got to get something from those guys, and that's made more challenging by the fact that really for the most part, they haven't played very much. So that's a big question awaiting this team. And then finally, two other things related to this, and then we'll table this conversation until another day. The name that you're already hearing a lot about, and in the old school days, this would be the guy on the face of the media guy. This would be the guy whose face is on the tickets. You know, all those ways in which teams tout themselves and tout their top players. The face for for Georgia on that in so many ways in 2022 is going to be Jalen Carter. He's going to be the most lauded future NFL draft pick on this current team. He's going to be, in a lot of ways, the heart and soul of the team, the way in which you know, a Jordan Davis or Devontae Wyatt, Trayvon Walker, defensive lineman would have been that in 2021. You know, Carter's going to be that guy next season. He's also coming from a position where, you know, not quite the edge rusher type. Some of his pass rush is going to be coming from the interior portion here. Had three sacks a year ago. How much better can he be in what is likely his final season in 2022? We know he's a great player. That's, that's, that's unquestioned. We know he's a true top shelf talent. That's not de- debated at all. But how much can that show up in the form of pass rush? Can he be you know, a six-sack type guy for you in 2022? If you want to get to that 40-plus sack number again in this upcoming season, some of that from him is probably going to be pretty important. And then I guess I'll finish with this. It's also fair to say when you look at, hey, an Adam Anderson who gave you a solid contribution before obviously he left the team for off-field reasons, you know, that's also a, a hole there as well. And you know, the need for more help at outside linebacker, more experience at outside linebacker, more more plug-and-play, ready-to-go contribution would lead you to believe that as Georgia starts to shop itself inside the transfer portal, that outside linebacker is probably one of those spots it's looking at pretty closely on all of that, too. The bottom line is, to kind of sum all this up, Georgia was a national champion in 2021 in large measure because of how great it became as a pass rush unit. On the list of reasons why Georgia holds the trophy, 
that may be number one on my list all the way around. As you start thinking about Georgia's chances of repeating as national champion, I think this is also a really good place to start there as well. A lot of guys who gave a lot of sacks to Georgia are now gone. There's a lot of young talent waiting for its shot to show how good that it can be. And can you come up with some sort of formula, some sort of combination of great individual season from guys like Nolan Smith, uh, contribution added together from incoming freshmen and and young guys looking for more playing time to get back to that 40-plus number again? If you can, then Georgia's chances of being right back in the national championship conversation here in 2022 – they go way up because of all of that. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We were a little late starting on video today because we had a little bit of a fire alarm situation. Now, come to find out everything was fine. I don't think it was a drill. I believe it was a false alarm. But nonetheless, uh, we're all safe and secure and fine. But let's face it, uh, we missed our first and 15 today, so we'll look forward to doing that with you tomorrow. 945 dognation.com, Dog Nation app there as well. And then getting rolling with the regular show after that, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 963F, podcasts wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. And yes, I know we've had a little bit of a glitch lately in terms of listening to the podcast on the on the browser there for those that like to listen to it at the world-famous dognation.com. But I've also heard from some of you that me posting the YouTube version of the show, YouTube, I should say, the YouTube version of the show along with the podcast there at dognation.com. That seems to be a pretty good workaround right now while we're trying to figure out everything else. So the bottom line is we just try to make the podcast available to you on as many different platforms, as many different ways as we possibly can. And however you connect with us, we just really appreciate you doing that. And all of these platforms, this nice studio, everything that we get to use as a resource to reach you, it would not be possible that our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. They are the one you turn to when it comes to foundation and waterproofing issues. Seems like we've had a lot of precipitation lately, a lot of it obviously winter-based, but nonetheless, that can be a sign for you that something's not quite right on the home front because when it rains, you see residue that's left behind in your basement, your crawl space, your garage. You see evidence that, hey, water's getting in to a place that it's not supposed to be getting into, and you know that can be a huge problem for your future. It's the kind of thing that you want to deal with now so you don't have to deal with it in an even worse way later on. The same thing for the cracks that show up in the walls. One of those things that, you know, the foundation represents the structural integrity of your home, which is not only the place that you live, but it also is the most important financial investment that you have. And so doing everything you can to take good care of that is just really important. That's where my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia uh, get involved because they're a solutions-based company. If you've got a problem with water intrusion, if you've got a problem with, with foundation issues, put the smart people at ESOG to work for you to help get that fixed. they got two full-time engineers on staff. They're also the kind of folks that are willing to tell you that if it's a small, simple fix, hey, this is all you have to do. Go to the hardware store and buy a blah, blah, blah. But if it's something more substantial than that, even more reason to have ESOG on the job. Plus, as I've told you a million times, they've been longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily. I'm so grateful for those of you that support those who support us. And they're also proud partners of UGA there as well. So big fans of the dogs, working hard to support them, working hard for all of you and a big part of what we do here at Dog Nation Daily. So give them a call. 678-ESOG now. That's 678-ESOG now. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia uh, solution for your foundation, your waterproofing issues. Check out ESOG today. All right, we will get Connor Riley coming up here in a moment. We'll do a quick refresh take with him, and that is going to be a lot of fun. Before that, though, I do want to go around the doghouse. It's presented today by Georgia's own credit union. And 
every now and then I think in sports you see a little bit of a generational divide and you know I try to be mindful of all the various generations that listen to the show but every now and then you see how one generation views something compared to the way another generation views something and like I'm a child that was a I was a kid elementary middle school you know 80s into the 90s high school in the 90s and if you ask me who is the athlete that probably defines my time growing up more than anybody else for me it's michael jordan that's why when the pandemic was going on like the last dance documentary was playing you know people my age 40s were transfixed by this because jordan was our guy not only was he the best athlete of my lifetime growing up childhood into high school he was also i think the athlete that kind of defined that that era of of culture maybe more than anything else that that a lot of us who are from that age we just sort of think of ourselves as jordan guys and there is a group of folks younger than us whatever you want to call them gen z millennials whatever else that that kind of think of themselves more of kind of the lebron james era and i don't want to exasperate what has been a topic that's been beat to death you know online but to me there's a little bit of a difference between the LeBron James era and the Michael Jordan era. Now, that doesn't mean that my era guy, Jordan, is necessarily better than LeBron, although he is. That that doesn't necessarily mean that. But there is just a certain way in which I see the world of sports that kind of comes through the lens of the way in which the guy from my era, Michael Jordan, saw it. And there's a certain way in which sometimes I think the LeBron James era folks sort of see sports that's different than those of us who are a, a little older than that. So, when you see what went on in social media last 24 hours or so, this to me feels very much from the Michael Jordan era. A little bit of a back and forth here, a little bit of a you know social media spat type thing if you want if you want to call it that. You know Jordan didn't really play in the social media era, but but this kind of feels like the kind of thing that Jordan era last dance type stuff would have been very comfortable with. Whereas you know the LeBron James era, where it seems like everybody kind of wants to be friends, this just feels a little different than that. So let me show you this. So uh, McCole Harbin, obviously a revered figure in recent Georgia history, now a great member of the Kansas City Chiefs, the the touchdown that he scored in that uh, game against Buffalo the other day was like a magic trick. I mean, you know, he had a whole host of defenders on him, just turned on the afterburners and he was gone. I don't think they would have gotten him in two-hand touch. McCole's just a really fun player to watch and obviously a loved figure in Georgia history. So he goes on Instagram and shows the picture of uh, Jermaine Burton, who, as you know, is transferring to Alabama. And what McCole Harbin writes is, how do you go to the team we just beat and, and, and leave the team that you won a national championship with? And I would say that there are a lot of people kind of my age, kind of Michael Jordan era type folks who look at this from McCole Hardman and we sort of say, wow, thank you. Somebody finally said it. And that's not to say you want to trash Jermaine Burton or you want to you know drag him through the mud or make it some sort of personal attack or anything like that but there is just a certain way of viewing sports that some of us have where to get beat by Bama immediately tag out and then go join Alabama that just seems a little weird to some of us and we're not going to celebrate that as you know the whole hashtag respect my decision that is not a decision that's easy for some of us to respect it's obviously Burton's own choice but McCole Hardman speaks right there for a lot of us who kind of came of age in the last dance Michael Jordan era in which 
you viewed your rivals as an opponent. You viewed your rivals as a nemesis. You wanted to beat them. You didn't want to join them. You wanted to beat them. You wanted to be the best version of yourself you could be on you know, the team that you called home. That's what Michael Jordan sort of made famous. Now, Jermaine Burton saw some of this chatter online, didn't respond directly to McCall Hardman, but he responded to the chatter that existed around all of this. Let me show you what uh, Burton had to say about this because this has been a hot topic as of late. So 24-7 Sports did a story on the McCole Hardman post, and they put out on Twitter, former Bulldog McCole Hardman was not feeling Jermaine Burton's transfer. Do y'all agree? And Jermaine Burton goes on Twitter to say, why does it matter on who agrees? It's my career. It's nobody else's. Uh, that's his response to all of that. And nobody can dispute what Burton, Burton says here, that it's obvious his choice to do whatever he wants, and he made the choice that he thought was best. But we don't have an obligation just to pat everybody in the back for every choice that they make. Now, around here, we don't make anything personal. If a Georgia player has a bad moment, we'll call it as it is, but we're not going to trash them for that. The same way we don't really trash players from other rival programs. I mean, think about this when it comes to, you know, we make a big deal all the time about, you know, Gator hater and, you know, lousy stinking Gators, but have you ever heard me trash a Florida player individually? I just don't do that that's just the kind of thing we try to stay above the fray on but we are going to call balls and strikes when somebody does something we don't like we're going to admit that and so you know Burton's got every right to make the choice that he made but we also have every right to say "Mm, this is a choice that doesn't necessarily speak well of the current state of college football I believe and that's just you know everybody's got a right to their opinion on that one final one to show you here chris milton and connor raleigh shared this tweet yesterday at dognation.com and chris is obviously a level-headed guy it's the father of kendall milton chris is also very active on social media and generally speaks from what i think of as a pretty measured place and usually has pretty good perspective on everything and so he says i just saw that my uh dude uh, jermaine burton is transferring to bama he says when we play them i hope we kick their ass but in every other game i hope he shows everyone why he's there he says go get your money kid and he signs it as pops and i think that probably reflects what it feels like to be a, a father a, of a player that that you do have an obligation to do what's best what you think for yourself and obviously when you see that guy go play against you then you want to see him as a nemesis honestly not every fan knows burton personally the way that chris milton does and that's where why they stop just short of saying hey i cheer for you wherever else you go because ultimately you know this is a player going to now help george's arch nemesis most fans won't take the tact that chris milton takes there but milton obviously knows burton personally and has his own you know relationship with him and sees that a little bit different i think the final point for me on this and then we'll let connor i talk about this some too is you know, not everybody has to be friends all the time. You know, sometimes you can just view some team as a rival, as a nemesis. And when a guy goes and plays for that team, you can kind of view him, and I'm going to use air quotes here, as the enemy. That that it doesn't have to be lovey-dovey like button all the time. You know, sometimes it's okay to make this be about a competition, a competition between players on one team against players on the other team. That is mostly the way in which college football fans get entertainment from the sport seeing their favorite team trying to vanquish all of its foes the more this becomes about minor league hey nfl future and uh you know all that kind of stuff then this becomes nba g league which is not popular minor league baseball which is going out of business corn ferry tour and golf which no one watches because it's not even on streaming video the more this becomes that it becomes something different in other words Jermaine Burton can do what's best for his own personal business, 
But what's best for Jermaine Burton's own personal business historically hasn't shown itself to be very good for the business of college football all the way around. And that's okay. It's it's okay for different people to disagree with about this. And it's okay for Georgia fans to view Alabama as the enemy and Burton as the enemy now that he plays for that team. No one needs to get their feelings hurt about that. This is Around the Doghouse, and it's presented today by Georgia's own credit union. And boy, one of the things I love about Georgia's own credit union is the convenient way they make shopping online because let's face it a lot of us right now are doing a lot of shopping online or shopping in store or wherever else and one of the things that's always great when you're going to make one of those transactions is one of those visa signature and platinum cards from georgia's own credit union first of all it's contactless payments you can't come with a more convenient way to make your payments each month than what uh, georgia's own credit union provides for you there plus there are all kinds of great incentives when you uh, pick yourself up one of these visa signature platinum cards rewards that can be used on travel cash back merchandise so many different things you can even and get $150 just for signing up. So it's a really cool way to get more out of the shopping experiences that you're already a part of and get the most incentives, the most cash back, the most rewards coming back your way. So I want you to check this out online. It's georgiasown.org for more details. That's the website, georgiasown.org. You can uh, find it online. You can pick yourself up one of those Visa Signature and Platinum cards. All right, before we're done, a former prominent figure in the history of Georgia football has done something I think is pretty cool. And so we'll talk about that before we're done. I'll try to explain why it's cool, even though overall it's probably a small little thing. There is a bunch of SEC news to get to. Another Georgia player has announced a transfer within the SEC. We'll talk about that some as well. So that's a lot to do before we're done. But for now, on the big news involving Burton and everything else about Georgia as it moves into the offseason phase here in 2022, let's do a Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, so a lot to do with Connor Riley. He'll do the Chris Collinsworth slide in on video here in a moment, and we'll do Kroger Fresh Take with him. And, you know, he's obviously written a lot about this. It's been a very hot topic on social media as of late and everywhere else Georgia fans have been. So, Connor, let me just begin big picture with you. We'll, I'm sure, dive into some of the more intricate details with this. Jermaine Burton announces on Sunday transferring from Georgia, Alabama. Initial thoughts on all of that? Yeah, uh, I'm not exactly surprised by it. I had kind of heard rumblings this was going to happen even before the national championship game. And then he goes out and makes the move that he does. I, I think the important thing to keep in mind here, and I liked your, your Jordan LeBron sort of comparison there. This is a different sort of NBA situation. It's Kevin Durant joining the Warriors. Yeah. And, you know, Alabama losing the title game. Warriors lose the 2016 finals to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Kevin Durant goes out after losing to the Warriors in the conference finals, blowing a 3-1 lead. He joins that team. And I think a lot of people look at Jermaine Burton. He was going to be the best receiver on, on Georgia's team next year, certainly wide receiver. And I, I think he's a guy who has certainly shown that he can do more with more touches. And – from a football standpoint, I, I think even the hardest Georgia fans would recognize, yeah, Alabama is a, a, for what he wants to do, a better football situation in terms of statistics, in terms of putting up big numbers. Alabama has had three straight seasons with two 1,000-yard receivers. Georgia historically has had just one 1,000-yard receiver in program history. So from a purely football standpoint, just within the confines of the game, I think we can all sort of understand why Burton made the move that he did. As he said in his tweet yesterday, it was to better his career. 
Alabama's had four first-round wide receivers in the last two years. If John Mechie and Jamison Williams were healthy, that number could possibly get to six with this draft. So from a football standpoint, I get that. However, when you take a step back and consider everything, consider the passion, the rivalry, sometimes the bitterness that comes with college football, you do tend to see sort of people saying, well, why would you make that move? And I, I know, you know, Burton is not exactly a, a, a well-liked person within the confines of the Georgia fan base right now. But as he, I think, sort of pointed out yesterday, he, I, I think he understood what he was doing when he yeah. made this move and knew he wasn't going to be a popular figure in doing so. And that ultimately is why he's at Alabama, I think, now and no longer a member of the Georgia program. Yeah, I think you're right about that. This is not show friends. It's show business. And I think that he's probably thick-skinned enough to know that when you go play for the enemy, you will be viewed as the enemy by a lot of Georgia fans. I use that in air quotes because obviously you know, this, is t- this, is, this is about sports enemies, not about you know real-life enemies. But you know the thing that allows us to talk about college ball for a living is the passion that people have about it and the way in which they express that passion is hoping their favorite team beats their you know favorite team's rival and now Jermaine Burton is on the other side here you know this is not going to be you know one of those things I mean Latavius Brini goes to Arkansas yeah of course you wish him well L.C. Carroll goes to South Carolina of course you wish him well for most Georgia fans Jermaine Burton going to play for the team that you just beat in the national championship game you're not going to get the same level of well wishes from most Georgia fans so was the do you, why do you think there wasn't the same level of vitriol when say Jalen Kimber went to Florida or conversely why was they're not so much hand wringing when it came to, oh, Georgia just got Arik Gilbert out of the portal. Georgia just got Tyke Smith out of the portal as well. So I think that's a really good question. I think I have a very specific answer. It might surprise you. I think Florida misplayed the Jalen Kember thing. I think Florida thought it was going to get over on Georgia by announcing the Kimber thing on the day that Georgia was celebrating its national championship. And I honestly think it was just a tactical error. I think they had a PR blunder in thinking they would steal Georgia's spotlight. But amongst Georgia fans, the spotlight of Georgia celebrating in Athens that day was so big. I'm guessing there's a non-insignificant portion of our audience that doesn't even know that Jalen Kemper's going to Florida because Florida made the blunder of announcing that when all the attention was on Georgia doing what it's doing. Had the Kemper thing come out at a different time, that might be generating some more of the same kind of conversation. And eventually, maybe it does. But, but I think that part of the issue around the Kemper thing is if, if Florida was trying to orchestrate this behind the scenes, they just erred in in announcing at a time in which they didn't get as much attention as they otherwise would mm-hmm. the transfer portal is good for individuals it, it you know it allows them to move a guy like lc carroll who probably wasn't going to see a whole lot of playing time at georgia had already moved from running back to cornerback in hopes of climbing up the depth chart it's good for guys like that and, and you know as well i think from an individual standpoint it's good for jermaine burton that he can go to a place to where he believes he betters himself But the problem specifically when it comes to the game of football is that football is fundamentally a team sport. And so when you mix those sort of those sort of lines of individual need versus team desire, you sort of get the backlash that you've seen from Jermaine Burton in recent weeks. And I'll use the NBA here once again. You know, everyone at first was sort of celebrating all the player movement, you know, LeBron changing teams every three sure. years when he sucks the life out of whatever organization he is with, uh, you know, James Harden demanding a trade and everyone got really into it. It was really cool and exciting at first. If you go look at some of the TV numbers for the NBA in recent seasons, they're not in a good yep. spot right now. And as a diehard NBA fan, 
the game is not in a good place in terms of generating national interest. And if we're going to keep getting to a point where every offseason players are constantly changing teams. Now it is a one-time thing. And, yep. and I do think that'll help uh, sort of curtail some of this, but if we're going to have players changing teams with the frequency at which they are, I do think there's some negative long-term implications that that has on the game of college football. I, I totally agree with you. I don't want to get lost in this topic because we could do it for a long time, but I totally agree with you. If you want to know why sports ratings went down during the pandemic, I believe the number one reason was because of confusion. People didn't know who was playing, when it was being played or whatever else. And for the average fan, confusion makes you tune out. If you don't know who's playing or, or why it matters, what the storyline is, it's just easy to just surf your phone, you know, you know, scroll through mm-hmm. your, your social media feeds that that too much player movement, I, I do think, runs the risk of making college football too confusing to follow. College basketball's popularity has gone down. Now, the tournament's still a pretty big deal because it's March Madness and it's a bracket. And that's all anybody really matters, uh, cares about. But, you know, over the course of the season, the sport of college basketball is simply mm-hmm. not what it once was. And the level of confusion that exists around trying to follow it, I believe, is a big reason why. Yeah, you know, when I was growing up, you knew you were going to have Syracuse Georgetown at seven o'clock on Monday nights yeah. during during the college basketball season. Uh, the biggest reason, I think, more often than not, the three thirty SEC game is the biggest game in college football every week, is because you get a lot of casual fans who know, hey, this is the best conference in college football. It's the same time every week. I know I'm going to be getting a good product more often than not there. So change is cool and I understand the sort of fascination with it that it drives, but at a certain point you also, I think have to find stability. Now it's worth pointing out. This is the first full sort of off season we have with the transfer portal as long as well as NIL stuff. And maybe, you know, three, four years from now, it becomes a little bit more stable, but I do think college football has to be a little bit worried with all the change that it has seen. And Kirby smart has even touched on this. Eventually, if you're having all this change in roster turnover, the guys are just going to go to the NFL because that is at least a lot more regulated and understanding of that. Whereas with a transfer portal it can be one guy wakes up on the wrong side of the bed one day, decides, you know what, I, I want to go play somewhere else. Let me do a couple of things in this Burton thing. And I want to move on and kind of get to the rest of the Georgia receivers after that. And I'll totally acknowledge I'm about to sound like a hater. And I don't mind, you know, being called one because in this particular case, I probably am hating just a little bit. Burton going to Alabama and getting more stats does not necessarily mean he's a better player. Like part of the issue I have with the whole Jermaine Burton story and any story that feels similar to this is, is I think a lot of players are being lied to and being told that there's some sort of external factor that's preventing you from being great. In other words, coach don't like you, system doesn't pro, you know doesn't uh, promote you, whatever else. That that there's some sort of external factor that's keeping you from being the best version of yourself, and that's almost always a lie. That if Jermaine Burton was as good as Brock Bowers, he'd be getting Brock Bowers touches. And if Jermaine Burton was clearly better than guys like A.D. Mitchell or Ladd McConkie, those guys would be relegated to the bench and Burton would be on the field more. That he may go to a place like Alabama that's become kind of pillow soft and features wide receivers, but ultimately that does not necessarily make him a better player. He'll just be more prolific in the stat sheet. That's me being a hater. Don't mind saying that, but I also don't necessarily think that is true to use a double negative. Yeah. I mean, from Burton's standpoint, I get it because look, I mean, Jim Rain Burton is a fantastic athlete, but he's not the sort of athlete that say like a George Pickens is, or like has the speed of a Jalen Waddle that is going to separate him when it comes time to the NFL combine. So, or even Jamison I, Williams. I mean, let's face it. Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think Jermaine Burton. And once again, this really is Hayton. I don't think Jermaine Burton wants to get in a foot race with Jamison Williams. 
so like, and again, he, he's a good all around athlete, but he is not the sort of transcendent transcendent, excuse me, athlete that I think is going to be a separator when it comes to the NFL combine. So you need sometimes these stats to back it up. And I, I went over the weekend and if you, if you look at, and I know you brought up Demarius Thomas in 2010, if you look at the average season for a first round wide receiver draft pick and sort of what they need to do, it is 70 catches, 1133 yards, and 10 and a half touchdowns. And actually the median and average are roughly about the same. I'm not going to get into what all that means from a statistical standpoint, but essentially that's the type of season you have. Jermaine Burton's not going to have that season at Georgia next season. I think even if JT Daniels were a quarterback or Brock Vandergriff were a quarterback or whoever, whatever five-star Georgia fans want at quarterback next season, regardless of whether or not Stetson Bennett is back there, because that's not the way that Georgia wants to play. And I know people want to see, you know, high-flying offenses. Georgia scored 38 points per game this season. It's hard to get a whole lot better. And you brought up yesterday uh, in your opening monologue, sort of talking about JT Daniels and how it always led to more points. I think it's pretty undeniable that if you look at the last two seasons when JT Daniels was a quarterback, for whatever reason, Georgia does not did not run the ball as well when he was back there as say when Stetson Bennett was back there. And if we go back and even watch the second half of that national championship game, to me, the big difference in that game was that they were able to run the ball very consistently in the second half with Samir White there. And that's just something Alabama, with the exception of that one Brian Robinson drive, wasn't able to do at all. So having that ability, as I think we saw in the national championship game, is going to win you big games and also win you a lot of games during the regular season. And Again, it goes back to the individual versus team dynamic that is sort of at war with itself with 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 college football right now. Jermaine Burton has a right to want to pursue better opportunities for himself as an individual, but at the same point in time, it, it is a team game, and you do sort of. And now, granted, you know he's going to compete for a title next year. Alabama is already the national title favorites. I've said before, I'm I'd be I'd be stunned if Alabama doesn't win the national championship next year. But they didn't need Jermaine Burton to do that, and. You know, as NFL teams look for character things and things along those lines, this sort of feels like maybe Jermaine Burton perhaps putting himself above the team concept. So let me finish with the Burton part of this by by saying this, that there's a portion of our audience, I'm not quite so sure how big it is, it's certainly loud, and I'm not really quite so sure what ratio of the pie it adds up to be, but they look at Burton leaving Georgia to go to Alabama, and they would point to this and say, this is evidence that Georgia needs to change, that it needs to be more like Alabama. And as you mentioned, on my show yesterday, the point that I tried to make as honestly and candidly as I can is, I just find the evidence lacking that if Georgia threw the ball more, it would be better for Georgia overall. As you said, in the four games in which JT Daniels exceeded 30 passing attempts, Georgia only averaged 26 points per game in those games. They essentially score more when they throw less for whatever reason, multitude of reasons, but but nonetheless, the, the stats are what they are plus when you look at what Alabama became I hear from Alabama fans all the time and even a few like sort of self-hating Georgia fans but it's kind of weird about well if uh, Georgia didn't lose uh, if Alabama didn't lose its two you know thousand yard receivers they would have beaten Georgia in the national championship game but the other thing Connor about that is I think it speaks to how fragile a program Alabama's become that its entire national championship hopes rest on a quarterback and a couple of receivers by the way players who are small in stature in a game in which injuries are part of the game. When you're putting that much of your hope and faith in small, frail, thin players, in a, in a, in a game in which everybody else is big and strong and violent and, and physical, 
you are going to be more prone to injury. And if you don't have what Alabama used to have from 2009 to 2017, when Bama was this anti-fragile program that had defense and running game and everything else, there was no single nucleus that you could take away and then watch the whole program topple. That if Georgia actually became like Alabama, more like Alabama, I think it's actually moving farther away from what it is right now, which is reigning national champion. I think the numbers actually speak to that pretty clearly. What do you say? I mean, let's even look at this Georgia team this year. They had an injury at quarterback, didn't miss a beat. Some would even say they got, as an offense, better when they went from Stetson or from JT to Stetson. I, you look at the wide receiver room. Well, yes, they didn't have Jamison Williams and John Mechie tear their ACLs a- against Georgia. I mean, that position was banged up all season long. I, I, I'd actually make the argument that the national championship game against Alabama was the was maybe the one game all year that entire unit was as healthy as it could be. You know, George Pickens didn't play until the Georgia Tech game. Jermaine Burton was hobbled with injuries throughout the season. Arian Smith's season ending injury. Kyrus Jackson very clearly not the same receiver we saw a season ago. Dominic Blaylock coming off an ACL injury. I could keep going and listing the injuries that Georgia had at wide receiver this season. And they found ways to overcome that. And, and sure, timing has something to do with that as well. But if you're Alabama, we talked about this last offseason – Alabama's on one of the great wide receiver classes of all time from a recruiting standpoint. How are those guys not as well developed, especially when you're up big in some of these games like Alabama has been in and thrown the ball as often as Alabama has thrown it this season? And it's not unsurprising to me that Georgia's final two touchdowns of the 2021 season came from freshmen, guys who weren't in the program last season. So when it comes to relying on wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, yeah, those guys get hurt because they they're getting hit on every single play. And so you have to have depth behind them and understand that, yeah, over the course of the season, especially when you have the usage rate that Mechie, Williams, Brian Robinson have, those guys are going to accumulate a lot of hits. And at a certain point, those injuries are just going to pile up and happen. So a couple things before we let you go here. The point that I've tried to arrive at when it comes to George and the wide receiver spot moving for next year is – try to be as reasonable and realistic as I can. And I don't think it's unrealistic or unreasonable to say, and I'm going to be a fan here for a moment, man, I need one of these guys of the long list of returners and incoming guys, maybe transfer portal dude. I need one guy to come close to giving me what Brock Bowers gave me this year. George Pickens in 2019, for instance, those numbers, you know, what is it? Eight touchdowns, 700 yard receiving, you know, something, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. I I need somebody to come close. And if I could, speaking as a fan here for a moment, put a kind of a – use another NBA analogy. If Brock Bowers is my Michael Jordan, if I can get a Scottie Pippen at wide receiver, then all of a sudden that's another step forward for the Georgia offense. And a Georgia offense that scored 38, 39 points a game, maybe it scores 41, 42 points per game. It's not a huge leap to say that you could get there compared to the schedule that Georgia's going to play. And you got 10 names or so that you're sifting from. I got to have somebody get healthy, step forward, and be what Pickens was for this team in 2019. Be the the junior varsity version of what Brock Bowers was last year. I don't think that's asking too much for one of these guys to take a major step forward. I just don't think that's asking too much. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is going to come down to health. You know, I'll be interested to see how Vlad McConkey and AD Mitchell grow. I, I think AD actually could feasibly get there. He had some issues with drops this year that I think deflated his stats a little bit, but I I think there's a good chance next year. He's the odds on favorite to, I think, be the leading receiver for Georgia, at least entering the season. And when I say receiver, I mean wide receiver, obviously. Uh, 
one guy that I'm really interested in, in seeing his development this offseason is actually Arian Smith. And I've been a huge Dominic Blaylock fan. I, I, I've owned that. Arian Smith, when he's been able to play on the field, he's been a really good football player. He's made a difference. You think back to the Missouri game, even the Clemson game as a special teams player. His athleticism makes him, I think, a real weapon. And if he's able to get healthy, stay healthy this offseason, which, again, is just something he has not been able to do his first two years on campus, I do think you solve a couple of issues that you have there at your wide receiver position. Because one of the things that I would say is, is a decent concern is, of this wide receiver room, and I'll include the running backs and, and tight ends here as well, who is going to, on a somewhat consistent basis, hit those explosive plays? Because yeah. you look at the four 50-plus yard plays that Georgia had in its two playoff games, the guys that made those plays are all gone, Burton, James Cook, and George Pickens. So you're going to need guys who consistently make those explosive plays. Aaron Smith can absolutely do that, but I think he's got to stay on the field to do so. So true or false? If there is a great wide receiver on Georgia's roster, I'm going to define great as future first-round pick. If there is a great wide receiver on Georgia's roster, it is Arian Smith. And I'm going to even include the possibility of Arik Gilbert into this there as well for a multitude of reasons. The highest ceiling on the Georgia roster at wide receiver is Arian Smith, I believe. From a draft standpoint, that is that is objectively true because, I mean, you look at some of the guys that have gone in the first round in recent years – the two guys that actually have the lowest in terms of receptions, receiving yards, touchdowns, Jalen Rager and Jalen Waddle both went in the first round, not so much because of their production, but because of their otherworldly speed. And obviously Waddle would have put up huge numbers had he been healthy that last year. But I, I think that speed is such a differentiator. And if he's able to be healthy and show, show that he's able to do that for an entire season, I think there's an NFL team out there that would see him as a first-round draft pick. So downgrade the the benchmark just a bit. Let's go away from first-round draft pick, and let's just say 900 yards receiving. That's been a little bit of a magic number in college football. Brock Bowers got close to that number this year. That's why Georgia's passing attack was at least good enough to win the title because Brock Bowers approached what has been uh, an accepted benchmark in the past. So if I say not first-round draft pick, that, that, that may be a lot for anybody to ask for, but guy on this roster that could get to 900 yards receiving. If it's not Arian Smith, who else could it be? I'd probably lean at A.D. Mitchell. Okay. He was a guy who showed he can make big plays on third down. Uh, I think if he improves some of the uh, some of the drop issues that he had this year, he can be a much more consistent target. He made that great catch in the national championship game. I think that's a game to watch there as well. You know, Kiaris Jackson and Dominic Blaylock, with all the injuries that they've had, it, 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 I think it is at this point maybe fair. And you can include Arian Smith in here as well. With all the injuries they've accumulated, it's fair to wonder if they could get back to a point physically to where they're able to do what they need to to stay healthy over the course of, say, a 15-game season and put forth those type of numbers. So I want to talk to you about the pass rush thing that I began the show with. Before that, though, let me, let me remind folks, this is our Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley right now. And listen – we are in a time right now where every bit of savings you can find for yourself, for your family, it is just so crucial that you seek it all out. You get savings where you can, including saving money at the pump. That's really important now as well. That's where Kroger steps in because right now you can earn twice the fuel savings when you shop Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's um, uh, all the way through the end of January here. You get a chance to get twice the fuel savings there at Kroger. So it's digital coupon online Kroger app there as well. And you can start earning some big time fuel points 
from our friends at Kroger. Please make sure you check that out here for the remainder of January as we head towards the weekend. So, Connor, I started the show by talking about the need to replicate some of the past rush success that Georgia had a year ago. I got to be just real honest here for a second. I think 40 is a tricky number for Georgia to get to now. Forget the fact they were almost at 50 this year. You know, I I think the formula for getting to 40 this upcoming season is a little bit tricky. Now, I said off the top of the program, I think they can figure out a way to get there, but it's not easy. You know, asking Nolan to be what Aziz was in 2020, that's a big step forward for him. The other thing that I'm going to have to have smart people, you know, I would put you in this category, Mike in this category. I'm going to have to have smart people do a lot of writing for me about what's happening for Georgia inside linebacker this upcoming season. I don't know that you can be much better at that position than Georgia was this past season. I mean, the Kobe individually, but what Channing and, and, and Quay did there as well, they're never off the field. Now you got a bunch of guys, you know, Smile and, and Jamon Dumas Johnson. They're clearly talented. They just haven't played very much. That inside linebacker spot for Georgia last year had 13 sacks. Man, that's a lot to try to replace here for this upcoming season. You know, just generally speaking, the overall look at that pass rush, but in particular, man, there is a chasm left behind with Nakobe and Channing and Quay moving on the NFL. It's a big offseason conversation right there. I think you're missing the forest through the trees here, though. We talked about NFL drafts. I think Georgia's going to have three defensive linemen taken in the first round of this draft. I think Trayvon and and Jordan are the obvious names. And I think watching NFL games this weekend, how important it is to generate an interior pass rush, what I think Devontae Wyatt's going to go do down at the senior bowl. I think he's going to end up being a first-round draft pick, especially for teams drafting at the end of the first round. But that's sort of the last piece they think they need there. And, you know, those guys didn't put up a ton of sacks this year. I think the total for them was maybe nine uh, off the top of my head there. But – you don't lose that much talent and you can include the inside linebacker position there as well. You don't lose that much talent and maintain the level of excellence that you have had uh, at that past season. And while I like, again, I was on Jalen Carter before anybody, I, I have long held property there and, Business is a booming on Jalen Carter Island. Yeah. Jermon Dumas Johnson, I think he's going to be a very, very good player for Georgia. Schmel Munden and Xavier Sorry, I'm interested to see how they develop this offseason. With all the turnover that Georgia has had there, if Georgia's going to get to 40 sacks, it's going to have to do it in a different way. And maybe that's a good thing, given that, you know, Dan Lanning is moving on. You've got Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann as co-defensive coordinator. So Georgia's defense, just because of who's designing it, is going to look different next year. And if it's going to make the most out of its talent next season – to get to 40 sacks, it's going to rely, I think, a lot more on its edge rush, ed rushers. Yeah. Which, uh, and, and I'll include Jalen Carter in this as well, because, you know, you look at the stacks Nicobe had, even Trayvon had, it was because a lot of other blocks were being occupied. It wasn't always guys being asked to win one on one on the edge or one on one on the interior. I think if Georgia's going to get to 40 sacks, that's how it's going to have to play this season. And that's a risky way. You know, it, it runs counter to what Georgia has done in recent seasons. But if maintaining that elite level of pass rush is what they want to do, they're going to have to rely on their game breakers, Nolan Smith, Jalen Carter, and I would even include Robert Beal here as well. And if you want to mention, you know, Marvin Jones Jr. and Azir Sackhouse, young players who are going to play a lot, I I think you could do that as well. They've got to win one-on-one matchups consistently. And so that's because, again, as you point out, I, I think it's hard to expect Jamon Dumas Johnson to come in and give you from a sack production standpoint what Nakobe Dean gave you. I think it's hard to expect Schmel Munden to step right in for Channing Tindall. Those guys had a lot of football played, a lot of football playing experience. 
And the reality is the biggest thing that those guys, it's not the athletic tools or the ability. It's just the on-field experience and the on-field reps that have come with playing that much football. I'll give you a little, just a, this is just sort of a note to file away. You mentioned Devontae White. I know a guy a little bit on another SEC staff, and he was saying that their staff felt like that uh, Devontae Wyatt of all the athletic freaks that Georgia had on defense this past year, that Wyatt was actually the one that had this particular staff talking more than anybody else. The kind of lateral quickness he was showing from the defensive line position was blowing them away. Now, you've seen the Chuck Smith video of Jordan Davis, the way he's running around. We may actually have to try to have Chuck on the show talk about that a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, Jordan Davis running around. Obviously, you know, what N'Kobe Dean did, the levitation he from sideline to sideline. But this one in particular SEC staff, the guy they just couldn't believe, the guy that had their jaw dropped, was Devon Wyatt, the way in which he moved side to side for a guy that's supposed to be an interior defensive lineman. So I, you know what Trayvon's going to be come draft time. I believe you think you know what Jordan Davis is going to be. But mm-hmm. I do think that Devontae Wyatt, for those who are draft nicks and care about that kind of stuff, I believe Wyatt's going to turn a lot of heads as he moves through his own draft process too. Yeah, he's someone who I expect, you know, I, I guess over a week from now after the Senior Bowl wraps up, you're going to see, you know, winners, winners from the senior bowl. Devontae White, I think, is going to be the first name you see from there. And he's going to be a guy who, you know, came back last year. And because Jordan Davis came back as well in tandem with him, I, I think dulled the sort of celebration that came with him. Devontae White, a guy who was a JUCO player and, and Georgia stuck with, saw something in, stayed that extra year, developed. And the way we sort of celebrate, say, an Eric Stokes or, or Jordan Davis – the way Devontae Wyatt has been developed into what I think will ultimately be a first-round draft pick is one of the big success stories from this Georgia defensive staff. That is all really true. Uh, Connor, thank you for being here. Kroger Fresh Take here today. As I said before, you really good stuff at uh, dognation.com, including a great piece right now, winners and losers from this period of roster turnover we've been in. We don't really have an official name for what college football's been like the last few weeks, but there's obviously a lot of roster movement. Connor's got a good look back on that in terms of how Georgia helped itself and areas in which Georgia still needs to help itself. Really good look at winners and losers there at dognation.com. Hope folks will check that out. And Connor, we will look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. And we are just running very, very late here. We just I've just blown through all of our... <laughs> There's some fairly standard benchmark time-wise we try to keep, and some days we just absolutely just, just blow past the stop sign on some of this kind of stuff. I'm going to blame the fire drill on this. We were a little late getting started today because the fire drill, and we have just been trying to catch up time-wise after that. And the problem is we got about 1,000 SEC Through stories we have to do, so... Uh, it ain't going to get any uh, easier to try to pick up the pace here. But nonetheless, let me remind you very quickly that we are cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Last night, so I, it was one of those things where I was just kind of killing some time at home, and I, I got on one of the YouTube videos and started looking at some of the uh, stuff for Royal Caribbean. I just like sometimes to like look at all the stuff that's happening on board, Zipline and the Ultimate Abyss. It's like the tallest slot. I mean, you know, slide from the very top of the uh, ship that goes all the way down to the bottom, and you got the, uh, uh, the you know, just uh, the, just really, really fun stuff. The Aqua Theater, all kinds of just really cool ways to entertain yourself while on board. Also, you know, they have that kind of the interior boardwalk on one of these ships now where, I mean, it's really like being in a city at sea because, you know, when you're walking through this boardwalk, you know, you got like the big balcony, you know, staterooms on both sides. It's just an amazing, amazing presentation. I, I like really big, impressive looking things and, a lot of these cruise ships 
like you know, Harmony of the Seas goes out of uh, Port Canaveral. That's not too far from where uh, I'm talking to you right now from the Atlanta area. Uh, yeah, a lot of the ice skating rinks, things like that. A lot of these cruise ships just have uh, from Royal Caribbean just have amazing, amazing amenities on board. They have Broadway style productions. Like you can watch Grease, a full on Broadway style presentation production of, of Grease, like right there on board. They have their own, you know, in house shows there as well. As I said before, like the aqua theater stuff, like diving shows. It is really remarkable. And you should find out all you can about it and make plans to be a part of it here in 2022. Also, make sure you use our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority to help you book your Royal Caribbean cruise because nobody knows more about it than they do. Uh, dog uh, folks, UGA grads, but also Royal Caribbean experts. I love that. So check them out online, tcava.com. That's tcava.com. Or you can give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. All right, let's roll through a bunch of stuff here. Uh, cruiser on the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Lavoisier Carroll is transferring to South Carolina. Pretty big pickup, I would say, for Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks. This is the way the transfer portal is supposed to work. Now, oftentimes, it doesn't quite really work that way, where, now, when I say supposed to work, not necessarily in your eyes, my eyes, but in the eyes of some people around college football, they they like the idea of the middle-tier program, taking the player from the other program that wasn't really playing very much. Carroll was having a hard time finding a home. Connor, you don't have to come on the mic for this, but have they said, is he running back or defensive back at South Carolina? They have not. They have not. That is one of the things I will be looking forward to seeing. Does he go back to the position that he played at IMG Academy in high school? Does he stay at defensive back where he pretty, I mean, there was very little hesitation about him playing defensive back at Georgia. That's where he went at South Carolina. I would be interested to see if that changes. Maybe some of y'all that follow some of the Gamecock message boards can say what's been said about that. But Carroll, who seems like a pretty good dude, pretty good player, going to South Carolina. And, you know, guys like Shane Beamer, guys like Josh Heupel, guys who are in this, uh, you know, up-and-coming, you know, range here, you know, what they can do to fill out those holes in their roster, spots in their roster are going to be a, a big deal. Carolina was a little bit of a surprise year one under Shane Beamer. It's also one of those things where, you know, relative to expectations, it's going to be hard to actually even meet that here in year two. But obviously, bringing in guys like Carroll give you a chance to be able to do that. Saw where linebacker Harold Perkins is decommitted from Texas A&M. So even you know, a program like A&M that's supposedly just uh, throwing money around left and right, I guess even they don't have room for everybody necessarily. I don't have much to say about this necessarily. But uh, but Perkins has decommitted from uh, Texas A&M. Did see that here late stages of 2022. Obviously, A&M's also been in the mix a little bit for Shamar Stewart. I guess I still think he's probably going to Miami. He's probably not going to Georgia but uh, A&M's also been a little bit of a factor there. What I do find to be a little more interesting, at least in terms of immediate opinion, Adam Rittenberg, ESPN, has his list of coaches for 2022 on the hot seat. Now, listen, I'd love to be the kind of person that's above this kind of material, this kind of content, but the truth is I do love hot seat talk. I love seeing which SEC coaches are on there, and for the upcoming season, as of now, Harson the only guy that is, but boy is he. You, we talked on Friday's show about the huge transition of of assistant coaches and coordinators. You know, you already saw Mike Bobo out as offensive coordinator. Derek Mason steps down, maybe going to Oklahoma State. There's been some chatter about that. But you're bringing in Jimmy Brumbaugh from Tennessee. You're bringing in Christian Robinson from 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 Florida. There's just a lot of turnover, more than you would probably hope for from year one to year two for a guy in Harson that has just not really ingrained himself very well. And at one point in time, the media kind of made a big thing about you know his lack of willingness to talk about the the vaccine or whatever else honestly i don't think any of that has anything to do with what he's going through right now 
this is just a guy that comes into this league as an SEC outsider and has had a hard time becoming a part of the culture down here. Now, listen, they said the same thing about Urban Meyer, and Urban Meyer eventually won you know two national championships at, at Florida. So it's not like Harson can't win folks over by by winning more games at Auburn, but you know compare this to Shane Beamer at South Carolina, Josh Heupel at at Tennessee. First of all, Beamer beat Harson head to head, but it's pretty clear that those programs seem to have a lot more year one momentum than Auburn was able to create. And now Harson finds himself in the same division with. A guy in Lane Kiffin who just had a very successful year. A guy in Sam Pittman who just had a very successful year. A guy in Jimbo Fisher who's building up the program in a, in a very big way right now through recruiting, still trying to find those on-field wins. There is a huge, huge spotlight shining on Brian Harson right now. And, you know, I think if you're a guy like Mike Bobo, to be frank, you probably regret even hitching your wagon to harson you tried to give him some of that sec credibility but frankly you end up costing yourself a professional opportunity because of that maybe Derek mason ultimately felt the same way that you got to be careful who you work for because ultimately if you get in in a, in a situation in an administration that's just not likely to last and that's your own tarnish they have to deal with there on that so jackson dart uh takes a visit to usc excuse me takes a visit to old miss you know we told you on last week the, the the whole package deal burton daniels Ole miss that never felt very real that had all the trappings of you know fake news uh maybe in the case of dart this may be more the quarterback uh that old miss is looking at right now what does this mean for jt daniels where might he land admittedly there's going to be some curiosity about this but until dart makes up his mind it doesn't sound like the old miss daniels thing is is much of a thing right now at least based on what i am uh, seeing but nonetheless this is uh, Lane Kiffin trying to kind of get back involved in the quarterback sweepstakes after obviously doing big things with with Matt Corral. And for now, we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I want to do this real quick. This is not a big thing, but I do think this is kind of a cool thing. A lot of you saw the photo the other day of at the national championship celebration, Coach Dooley and Coach Goff and Coach Donnan and Coach Rick all there together. It's kind of like those photos that you see sometimes. We don't really actually have a ton of living former presidents right now, but um, but when you see all the living former presidents in the same photo together, there's a certain gravitas that has. To see the collection of uh, former Georgia coaches all there together, just kind of a nice thing to see. And, you know, you know Goff and Donnan have stayed very close to Georgia for a long time. Obviously, Coach Dooley has been an Athens fixture for decades. But for Coach Rick, this is a little bit of a thing where he's seems to be moving back more into the fold here a little bit as of late after spending some time as Miami head coach. If you had to be honest, maybe a little bitter with how it came to an end for him at, at, at Georgia at the end of the 2015 season. To his credit, never said anything like that publicly, but human nature would lead you to believe that probably a little frustrated with how you lost your job after 15 years of success. But all of that, if there was if there was ever any truth to that whatsoever, all of that seems to be water under the bridge right now. And I saw where Coach Rick had a couple of nice statements about uh, Georgia on Twitter, guys that he coached that are in the NFL and doing well. I'll read these to you. He says, congratulations to Matthew Stafford, Leonard Floyd, Sonny Michelle, and let's not forget Thomas Brown, Nick Jones, go Rams, go dogs. Obviously happy about the L.A. connection that – the Rams have to UGA and celebrating them and then goes on to say this and this is one of those cool pieces of trivia I'm never really quite so sure what this means it's just amazing interesting 
Rick says, with DeAndre Baker and McCole Hartman playing for the Chiefs, Trey Hill and the Bengals, Charlie Werner for the 49ers, along with all those Rams players, it assures that Georgia is going to continue its streak of players on Super Bowl rosters, 21 straight, best in the nation, go dogs. And my point on this is just simply that it is just really cool to have Mark Richt back touting Georgia on social media and and being a fan of UGA and hopefully having his UGA legacy appreciated and him taking time to appreciate UGA's legacy there as well. And listen, I don't begrudge Rick from working for the ACC network and stuff like that. But when you see him doing the barnstorming tour and he's putting on the tech gear and all the things, you know, related to what you sometimes expect an ACC network analyst to have to do, there's a version of that that's not all that enjoyable for many of us, even if you understand why Rick maybe has to do that because of his job. This version of Mark Rick's just a lot more fun for a lot of us. So Rick is back in Athens again. I believe he's living there again. He's touting UGA on social media and pointing out some really cool stats, obviously cheering for his former players as they play in conference title games this weekend, but also just touting UGA. I really like seeing that. I think that's a lot of fun. Also, before we sign off today, let me uh, shout out my friends at Space Dogs. Obviously, the crypto world gets a lot of chatter, a lot of conversation. And I think one of the things I would invite you to do is go past me on this, go to somebody who knows even more about all this than I do, because honestly, I've actually educated myself more recently about what crypto really is and how it can benefit me because of the connection that Dog Nation Daily has had with Space Dogs. You've heard me talk about Space Dogs. It's a cryptocurrency that's been started by some UGA fans, UGA grads, dog folks. Uh, and that's why they call it Space Dogs. And if you go to their website, dogs.io, you can see all the products they have available, the dog's token, the dog's wallet, the space card, and you can learn how all of this can benefit you. Take the mystery out of crypto a little bit and understand how you can make safer, more secure transactions online using the kind of products that Space Dogs has available. So please find them, dogs.io for more on that. That's the website, dogs.io for a lot more on that. And oh yeah, by the way, speaking of conference title games this upcoming weekend, I would say that the divisional round is probably the biggest weekend of football that we have, especially when you have four great games like we had this past weekend, but certainly the two biggest games in the same day, AFC-NFC Championship game with the Super Bowls, long since been a national holiday. This upcoming Sunday is quickly moving that direction as well. And games more fun when you have action down on the game that's where our friends at BetUS step up to the plate for you on this BetUS.com use the promo code DN125 you get a 125% sign up bonus on your initial deposit that means BetUS puts more money in your uh, account than uh, uh, than than you will to start they're going to put more money in there uh, than you do to start and you're just going to be in great shape on all of that a lot of us are bigger college football fans we are pro football fans and so if you want to Make the games feel bigger, more fun this weekend. Throw a little, uh, throw a little uh, action down on one side or the other. F- you know, figure out whether it's cheering for McCole or cheering for the Rams or cheering for whomever, and put a little bet down on all of that, and you will uh, get going on all of that. It's BetUS.com promo code DN125. BetUS.com promo code DN125 and get 125% sign up bonus. Now, before we hit the music and sign off, because gosh knows we've been on the air for six hours now. I forgot to do this. I was going to do the thing with, you see where Joe Burrow uh, was talking about the loud crowd that awaits him at Arrowhead Stadium this weekend. He kind of shrugged it all off saying that he feels like SEC stadiums are way louder anyway. I think it's been really interesting to watch the reaction to all of this. Don't you find it a little bit strange? There are people, I saw where the Lawrence Tyne kind of retweeted this, whatever. Don't you kind of find it a little bit strange that some people are just completely 
flummoxed by the notion that some of us just like college ball better that we think it is bigger and you know frankly when you go to a, a place like a, a jordanaire stadium or, or, or a williams bryce stadium not even you know not even Bryant Denny in Alabama, where you think of a national champion typically residing, or a lot of folks talk about where Joe Burrow himself played there at Death Valley and Baton Rouge. Obviously, that those are what they are. But even some of those slightly smaller SEC stadiums, I mean, to be, and I hate to give Auburn credit for anything, but to be in Jordan here when it's as loud as it can get, I mean, you can feel it in your face. Same way for Williams Bryce Stadium there, too. It almost defies physics how loud that stadium can get. And there are a lot of folks around the NFL who just somehow can't imagine this is true, but. You know, for guys like Joe Burrow, they've experienced how many former Georgia players have we talked about here who, uh, you know, have said much the same thing of there is nothing that rivals these SEC atmospheres. That'll always be very hard for the more NFL minded folks to accept. But for so many of us, including Joe Burrow himself, who, by the way, is not an SEC guy by birth. He's an Ohioan that came down here to the SEC. So if he's saying this, you know, it's probably true. So anyway, that had gotten a lot of talk yesterday. I thought I would mention that as we sign off and go out the door here as well. So let us do a uh, golden shoe here too. I'll show you this. I, I thought this was kind of really funny and nice. I'll put this on the screen for you and we'll give a shout out here so seth rhodes who's won golden shoes before says i needed gas on the way to the airport he says i couldn't help myself and what he did was he gave you the perfect pump 33 dollars and 18 cents now in 2022 that's about three gallons but nonetheless uh 33 dollars and 18 cents which obviously the score of georgia over alabama so nice to see folks still having fun with that and that's great to see seth very good job there will make you a golden shoe winner for today also gator hater updater one of the things we like reminding those lousy, stinking Gators, they are now dealing with their own national championship drought. Been a long time uh, for them. Have a 4,765 days. Boy, sucks to suck if you're Florida. And then Gator Hater Countdown, another loss coming for those Gators 277 days from right now. We will see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Uh, we'll take your comments here and glad to have you with us of course vet dog writes in to dognation.com to say a couple questions any decisions for kiaris jackson or arian smith any candidates named for wideout coach first of all in the case of jackson and smith you know i have not heard anything about them or anything i mean obviously gonna be i guess a little rumor things to pop up from from time to time but but nothing new to report on jackson and smith my expectation both guys will be on the team next year so We'll obviously watch for any kind of roster player movement that might occur, but I have nothing to give you on Jackson or Smith right now other than that they are you know, going through an offseason program with Georgia. Also, as far as the candidate name for wide receiver coach, I've really heard very little on this other than the what is mostly fan-generated chatter about being a Terrence Edwards or being a Heinz Ward. Any of the other names, nothing has gotten all that serious. I mean, like the other thing you're going to kind of hear from time to time are um, – the obvious names of outsiders to the program, whether it be a Damian Craig or uh, who's the guy that was at LSU a couple of years ago that just got uh, hired somewhere else. Um, you're going to hear some names like that kind of thrown around, but I don't get the impression that's necessarily coming from Georgia. I get the impression that's just what we all do. Hey, who are the bigger names that Georgia might be able to hire? And that's just some of what's out there. I don't get the impression that Georgia's in a big hurry to hire a wide receivers coach, in other words. Um, 
I don't get the impression that's that's necessarily going to happen right away. But I also don't, and I said this too, which is that you know sometimes the the coach from the analyst ranks going on the road as a fill-in and recruiting that hasn't always been uh, a precursor to being hired by Georgia you think about like Kari Rambo or Nick Williams guys that I think in the past have done that ultimately did not get those those on-field coaching spots at, at Georgia I, I, I believe that Buster Faulkner has a very bright future ahead of him at a place like UGA I do believe he'll be on the staff eventually but I don't get the impression that just because he's recruiting right now means that he is going to be on the staff here this year if I had to assume I assume that Georgia will probably still hire something of a traditional wide receivers coach let's see what else so Jim Wallace and 78 dog referencing the fact that the page is refreshing itself a lot and I do know that's frustrating and what I have tried to do as a workaround on that as we try to get this fixed because you gotta understand that all of this happens a level above me I'm putting a link to the YouTube video on the post to go along with the podcast. So, and I realize you have to leave. It's like one extra click to do this, and I, I'm respectful of your time. But if you do click into the YouTube post or click into the podcast post that exists there, you are leaving the website, but you can have unfettered access to the show. And I said before, I'm totally respectful of the idea that you like the show just being right there on the site, click it, listen to it, and you can move on and do some other things. But for one extra click for now while we're figuring out why this page is refreshing quite so much for one extra um extra click i can give you the show whether it be on youtube or on the podcast just simply click into it and you should have no problem with that because i have for some people who have expressed some frustration they've said that by adding the youtube link that's become better for them so i'm respectful of the issue and i appreciate you trying to listen i want to try to get it fixed and for now this is our workaround that we have in place. Uh, Red Dog One off the top of the programs, or I should say off the top of the comments here says, I going back to the stats that we used yesterday off the top of the program saying, I guess you can cherry pick whatever stats you like to build an argument. Well, what I think is lost on you is the fact that until this year, our generational defense, the team with the highest scoring average won the national title, Clemson, LSU, Bama, Georgia being the outlier. Um, well, first of all, Clemson was not the highest scoring team in 2018. That's it's it's very important to know that that you know that what you're saying is not as factually true as as you think that it might be. And if you look at a situation like Alabama in 2019, that's a team that scored 45 points a game. That's a team that's trying to be what you say they need to be, which is hey, 45 points per game. But when you do that, you have no control over somebody else building an even better offense at 48 points per game. That's what LSU averaged uh, in that same you know 2019 season. And Alabama, averaging 45 points per game in 2019, missed the college ball playoff that year. Why? Because they gave up 48 twice, not just to LSU, you know, one of the greatest offenses of all time, but also Auburn at the end of the season there as well. And we did acknowledge yesterday that if you look at, you know, for Bama, who, as we've said, has only won one of the last four national championships, two of those years they lost to a quarterback that would eventually go on to be the future number one overall pick. And you say, well, B.A., that's what you got to have. you got to have the future number one overall pick. But that's just a very difficult-to-replicate system. I, I jokingly use the analogy of that's like 
saying that you're going to try to win the lottery as a part of your retirement plan. Of course, you'd like to have the number one overall pick, but just given the fact there can only be one of those guys, most teams will not have the number one overall pick, and most programs will never sniff having the number one overall pick at quarterback. I was thinking about Justin Fields this morning. Fields was at L- at Ohio State, you know, Heisman finalist level player, future first round pick himself. But there was never a time when Justin Fields was the best quarterback in college football. Lawrence had that nod over him. Joe Burrow had that nod over him. Um, you know, there were always guys that were just, or at least a guy that was better than him. That you can come close to being the best quarterback in college football, but but coming close still doesn't mean there isn't somebody that eclipses your performance. What Mac Jones did better than Justin in 2020. What Joe Burrow did better than Justin in in 2019. In other words, it's very easy to put all your eggs in that basket. You've got to have the best quarterback. And then if you have the second or third best quarterback, you don't win the national championship. That, that ultimately, building a program that's just less fragile than that, more anti-fragile, to, to use a phrase that, that's become popular, that's just... I believe a better overall way to do this. Now, it may not be quite as much fun for Instagram highlight crowd, but football is still football. Football is still 22 guys on the field. And while quarterback may be the most important, and while the role of wide receivers has become increasingly more important, this is still a thing where it's good to have the very best offensive line, and it's good to have the very best running game, and it's good to have the very best defense. And this notion of, well, Georgia had a, quote, generational defense this year, but the truth is, Georgia's defense has never been worse than good under Kirby Smart, and in most years it's been at least low-level grade, if not greatest of all time. So I don't know how far some people think the Georgia defense is going to fall off in 2022 compared to where it was in 2021, but the idea that it's going to completely evaporate from the national conversation doesn't seem likely. And you should know this. Every piece of tangible evidence we have suggests that Georgia's continually working to try to make its offense better. But being more like Alabama would not give Georgia more national championships because it's actually not even giving Alabama more national championships right now. But it's a fun conversation. I'm sure it'll continue. Thanks for being here for R.S. Andrews Cooldown. Check out R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs, water heater, in many cases. If you need yours replaced, R.S. Andrews can do it for you the same day, but you've got to find them online at rsandrews.com. Check them out then, and we'll check you out tomorrow here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.